This, this is CCRN, the Cigar Connoisseur Radio Network. From Command Center Alpha 1A in the cigar city of Tampa, Florida, USA. This is a special edition of the Cigar Dave Show, the D-Day 70th Anniversary Tribute. To participate in honoring the heroic soldiers who scaled the cliffs at Normandy on June 6, 1944, join us at 877-DAVE-007. That's 877-328-3007. And now, America's Alpha Male-in-Chief, the General Cigar Dave. September 7, 1939. Nazi Germany invades Poland. World War II begins. For five years, Adolf Hitler and the enemy Axis powers of Germany, Italy, and Japan inflict a reign of terror and destruction on Europe and the Western world. 1942, Hitler orders the construction of extensive fortifications along the Atlantic coast of Europe from Spain to Norway as a defense against an allied invasion of the mainland continent from Great Britain. The Atlantic wall spans over 1,600 miles. It's lined with mines, anti-tank hedgehogs, barbed wire, booby traps, concrete casements, and gun pits. It is the most heavily fortified coastline in world history. The terrain is unforgiving, with cliffs rapidly ascending over 100 feet. Knowing that a Nazi defeat would require opening a Western Front, the Allies meet at the Trident Conference in Washington, May 1943. The decision to undertake a cross-channel invasion from Great Britain was made at that time. Penetrating the Atlantic Wall would be difficult, even in a surprise attack. Amphibious operations are inherently the most complicated in war. Napoleon failed to cross the English Channel. Hitler desired to make the crossing, but knew it would be difficult, if not impossible. What the Allies would attempt had never, never been done before. There was no historical precedent. For the next year, the Allies under Supreme Allied Commander Dwight D. Eisenhower planned Operation Overlord, with the first attack on Normandy codenamed Operation Neptune, better known as D-Day. The Allied invasion would take place on the beaches of Normandy within a 50-mile strip of rugged coastline. The Allies would land in five areas along the beach, codenamed Utah, Omaha, Gold, Juno, and Sword. The weather was absolutely critical and the ultimate deciding factor in launching Operation Neptune. The Allied planners set forth a set of conditions, taking into account the phase of the moon, the tides, and the time of day. And that meant only a few days in each month were deemed suitable. A full moon was desirable because it would provide illumination for aircraft pilots and have the highest tides. 
The Allies wanted to schedule the landings for shortly before dawn, midway between low and high tide, with the tide coming in. This would improve the visibility of the obstacles placed along the beach, while minimizing the amount of time the men had to spend exposed to the elements in the open. Eisenhower had tentatively selected June 5, 1944 as the date for the invasion. However, the day before on June 4th, conditions were unsuitable for landing. High winds, heavy seas made it impossible to launch landing craft, and low clouds would prevent aircraft from finding their targets. Captain James Stagg, meteorologist with the Royal Air Force, met with Eisenhower on the evening of June 4th. He and his team predicted that the weather would improve sufficiently so the invasion could go ahead on June 6th. After much discussion and taking account all the various elements, Eisenhower made the decision that the invasion of the beaches of Normandy would go ahead on November 6, 1944. Had Eisenhower postponed the invasion, the next available date with the correct combination of tides, but not with the desirable full moon, was two weeks later between June 18th and June 20th. But as history would later show, they would have encountered a major storm that lasted four days between the 19th and 22nd of June, which would have made the initial landings impossible to undertake. Postponing the evasion would also mean recalling the men and ships that were already in position to go across the English Channel and increase the chances of the invasion being detected. Allied control of the Atlantic meant that German meteorologists didn't have the same access and same information the Allies had on incoming weather patterns. The Luftwaffe Meteorological Center in Paris was predicting two weeks of stormy weather, so much so that many commanders left their posts to attend war games in Rennes, and many men and units were given leave. Field Marshal Erwin Rommel returned to Germany for his wife's birthday. The Allied forces were waiting, and they were ready in staggering numbers. 156,000 troops, 11,590 aircraft, 7,000 maritime vessels, including 1,213 naval combat ships, 4,126 landing ships and landing craft, 736 ancillary craft, and 864 merchant vessels. The Allied forces and the troops were ready to storm the beaches and descend upon northern France to begin taking out the Nazi German enemy. On June 5, 1944, at 04.15, British double daylight savings time, General Eisenhower gives the order for the attack to proceed with three very simple words. Okay, let's go. General Eisenhower addresses the Allied forces. Soldiers, sailors, and airmen of the Allied Expeditionary Force, you are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. In company with our brave allies and brothers in arms on other fronts, you will bring about the destruction of the German war machine the elimination of Nazi tyranny over the oppressed peoples of Europe, and security for ourselves in a free world. Your task will not be an easy one. Your enemy is well-trained, 
well-equipped and battle-hardened. He will fight savagely. But this is the year 1944. Much has happened since the Nazi triumphs of 1940-41. The United Nations have inflicted upon the Germans great defeats in open battle, man to man. Our air offensive has seriously reduced their strength in the air and their capacity to wage war on the ground. Our home fronts have given us an overwhelming superiority in weapons and munitions of war and placed at our disposal great reserves of trained fighting men. The tide has turned. The free men of the world are marching together to victory. I have full confidence in your courage, devotion to duty, and skill in battle. We will accept nothing less than full victory. Good luck, and let us all beseech the blessing of Almighty God upon this great and noble undertaking. The fury of an aroused democracy culminates on June 6, 1944, at 12.14 a.m. or 0014. The first Allied action of D-Day commences, Operation Deadstick, a glider assault at Can Canal to capture and secure two key bridges behind enemy lines. We interrupt our program to bring you a special broadcast. The German news agency Transocean said today in a broadcast that the Allied invasion had begun. I repeat, the German news agency Transocean said today in a broadcast that the Allied invasion had begun. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the NBC newsroom in New York where we are standing by to bring you the news of the reported operations against the continent by the Allies. People of Western Europe, a landing was made this morning on the coast of France by troops of the Allied Expeditionary Force. This landing is part of the concerted United Nations plan for the liberation of Europe, made in conjunction with our great Russian allies. The aerial bombardment then began with over 2,220 Allied bombers attacking targets along the coast and further inland. Minesweepers began clearing the channel for the invasion fleet. 13,000 paratroopers of the U.S. 82nd and 101st Airborne Division swept in behind enemy lines delivered by Douglas C-47 Skytrains 20 to a plane. Naval bombardment commenced at 0545 under darkness, with gunners switching to pre-assigned targets on the beach as soon as it was light enough to see. 0630. The wave of Higgins boats carrying U.S. infantrymen stormed the beaches at Utah and Omaha. Strong currents pushed many landing craft away from their intended targets. For fear of hitting the American landing craft at Omaha Beach, U.S. bombers delayed releasing their munitions. The result? Most all of the Nazi obstacles remained intact. Our boys were up to their necks in water, waiting 50 to 100 yards while under heavy fire. From the beach. Two companies of the 741st Tank Battalion dropped their tanks 5,000 yards from shore. 27 of the 32 took to the water and sank, with a loss of 33 crew. The remaining tanks continued to provide cover and fire until their ammunition ran out or they were swamped by a rising tide. The casualties at Omaha and at D-Day were heavy. Looking at the numbers, there is no official casualty figure for D-Day. And when we talk about casualties, that includes those that suffered by, that suffered 
wounds that were killed that were missing in action. The Allied casualty figures for D-Day have generally been estimated at 10,000, including 2,500 dead. The U.S. National D-Day Memorial Foundation has recorded the names of individual Allied personnel killed on June 6, 1944 in Operation Overlord, and so far, they have verified 2,499 American D-Day fatalities, 1,914 from other Allied nations for a total of 4,413 dead. The Battle of Normandy, which spread out over two months, led to over 209,000 Allied casualties. The price of freedom is not free. It is quite expensive. One could say priceless. Despite the obstacles and difficulties, the Normandy beachheads were secured, paving the way for the beginning of the end of World War II. And it all began with D-Day, June 6th, 1944. Today on The Cigar Dave Show, it is not about me. It is not about pleasure maneuvers. It is solely about the heroic actions of the Allied forces and our American boys that stormed the beaches. Today, we honor them, we pay tribute to them, and we memorialize them. Today, on The Cigar Dave Show, it is the 70th D-Day anniversary tribute. I can think of no better calling today on this 70th, 70th anniversary of D-Day than to pay tribute to all those great men. Many that are still with us, most that are no longer. But right now I give a long ash snappy salute to all of them and ask you for the next two hours to pay close attention because we will honor them in the best way possible by remembering their memory and the sacrifice they made back on June 6, 1944. In 1964, Jose O. Padron began rolling cigars bearing his name in modest surroundings with one guiding principle, always focus on quality, never on quantity. Nearly 40 years later, Padron cigars are recognized for their superior taste and majestic construction. The result of Padron controlling all aspects of the cigar making process, including planting their own seeds, growing and curing their own tobacco, and constantly supervising the rolling room. To Wall Street, it is called vertical integration. To the Padron family, it's called making great cigars. The Padron lines include the Padron 1964 Anniversary Series and the Padron Traditional line. All Padron cigars are wrapped in Nicaraguan sun-grown Habano tobacco, available in natural or maduro. Experience Padron. For your Padron retailer, call 1-800-453-5635. When Padron is on the band, quality is a matter of family honor. Surgeon General Warning. Tobacco use increases the risk of infertility, stillbirth, and low birth weight. Lieutenants, we are exactly T-minus two weeks and counting until the 2014 Charlotte Live Broadcast Pleasure Invasion. 
We will be front and center Saturday, June 14th at the Ballantine Hotel, the five-star Ballantine Hotel, as we launch the new Banker by H. Upman. Every lieutenant in attendance of legal age will receive a complimentary Banker by H. Upman. It will be an afternoon of alpha male pleasure maneuvers. We'll have our live broadcast. We'll have delicious delicacies, cool libations, fantastic cigar deals, and wonderful camaraderie and conversational maneuvers. It is Saturday, June 14th at the Ballantine Hotel. Doors open 11. Broadcast begins. Begins at noon. All the details at CigarDave.com. If you want to come in from out of town, there are special room rates the Ballantine Hotel is offering for our lieutenants. Just go to CigarDave.com for all the details. It is the 2014 Charlotte Live Broadcast Pleasure Invasion, Saturday, June 14th at the Ballantine Hotel in Charlotte. I did it at work, right there at my desk when my boss wasn't looking. I did it in bed. My wife was asleep. Next to me. I did it on the living room couch. It just started when my in-laws walked in and saw me. You can always discuss premium cigars on the premier online cigar club, MontecristoSocialClub.com. Join MontecristoSocialClub.com to connect with a network of social club members across the country who love premium cigars as much as you do. Receive a free new member welcome gift and membership card when you sign up at MontecristoSocialClub.com. I was doing it at a football game. They showed me on the Jumbotron. The Monte Cristo Social Club is an online membership club for adults age 21 and up. Surgeon General's warning, cigar smoking can cause lung cancer and heart disease. Commemorating the 70th anniversary of the Allied invasion of Normandy with the General Cigar Dave. Someday, Liz, I'll go back, said Private First Class Peter Robert Zanetta of the 37th Engineer Combat Battalion and first assault wave to hit Omaha Beach. Liz Zanetta Hen began her story by quoting her father who promised that he would return to Normandy. She ended with a promise to her father who died eight years ago of cancer. I'm going there, Dad. And I'll see the beaches and the barricades and the monuments. I'll see the graves and I'll put flowers there just like you wanted to do. I'll feel all the things you made me feel through your stories and your eyes. I'll never forget what you went through, Dad, nor will I let anyone else forget. And Dad, I'll always be proud. Through the words of his loving daughter, who is here with us today, a D-Day veteran has shown us the meaning of this day far better than any president can. It is enough for us to say about Private Zanatta and all the men of honor and courage who fought beside him four decades ago, we will always remember. We will always be proud. We will always be prepared so we may be always free. President Ronald Reagan, June 6, 1984, for the 40th 
anniversary commemoration of D-Day. Lieutenants, today is a very special show, as I mentioned in the opening segment, and I will not be conducting a cigar litation or libation ceremony today. Rather, I have an unlit cigar in mic position number two, a large cigar which will be dedicated to every person that took place, that took part of World War II and to the D-Day landings. And as I look over, every time I look at that, I will be reminded of them. And I think today is far more, and this week is far more important than whether we throw a steak on the grill or fire up a cigar or have a libation. Because I think this nation needs to take a time out. Because we wouldn't be able to fire up a cigar or pour a libation or throw a steak on the grill or go see a baseball game if it weren't for the actions of so many brave men and many women that took took part in World War II as well. So that is the very least that we can do today. We have a great show for you today. We will be joined in a few minutes by April Cheek Messier. She is the president of the National D-Day Foundation and Memorial in Bedford, Virginia. We are extremely pleased to be able to repeat an interview I had five years ago with Thomas Jefferson Blakey, who served as a paratrooper in the 82nd Airborne Division, one of the first men in back in uh, on, on the Normandy landings. He is uh, doing well. He is in his 90s, and he is en route to Normandy for the 70th anniversary uh, commemoration, and that's why he couldn't be with us live. But I think you'll find his words to be timeless. I also have Cigar and Alpha Male Mother who will be joining us because she actually lived, grew up as a child in British-controlled Alexandria, Virginia, where, or correction, Alexandria, Egypt, Alexandria, Egypt, where Rommel, the desert fox, was 60 miles away and uh, moving in before the battle at Alamein. We will talk with her and also talk about her experience visiting the Normandy American Cemetery. And also we'll be joined by Tom Shikansky, the Director of Collections and Exhibits at the National World War II Museum in New Orleans. If you have not had the opportunity to visit, do so. Well worth it, and since I visited three, four years ago, they've expanded and grown, and I cannot wait to get back. And if you care to join us to talk today about our veterans, to talk about our World War II veterans or Operation D-Day, we'll confine our discussion to them today at 877-DAVE-007. 877-328-3007. I can think of nothing more appropriate and nothing more proud that I am associated than to be commemorating the 70th anniversary of D-Day here today on The Cigar Dave Show. Hi, this is Rocky Patel. I'm here with my brother Nish and my cousin Nimish, and we're talking cigars. Guess what? They want me to vote on what my favorite cigar is. It's tough, but I'm going to go with the Decade. I love it. It's rich, decadent, and smooth. Rocky, you know what? The Decade's a great cigar, but the 15th anniversary, that's the cigar. That celebrated your 15 years in business, and I got to tell you, it's my favorite. You know what, Nish and Rocky, you both are wrong. The best cigar is Freedom by Rocky Patel. This cigar delivers a lot of spice, a lot of flavor, and in my opinion, it's the best cigar we make. As usual, we can't agree. But guess what? There's a great cigar for everyone. I promise you, nobody works harder than we do to make you a great quality cigar. 
Come visit us at RockyPatel.com. Surgeon General Warning. Cigars are not a safe alternative to cigarettes. Welcome to the Cigar Dave Show. If you'd like to join the alpha male conversational maneuvers, call me during the live show, Saturdays, 12 noon to 2 p.m. Eastern Time at 877-DAVE-007. That's Saturdays, 12 noon to 2 p.m. Eastern Time at 877-328-3007. This is the 70th anniversary of D-Day, a memorial remembrance. The General continues on this special edition of the Cigar Dave Show. did not have a memorial to the men and troops that participated in D-Day on June 6, 1944. Well, that changed, and it was changed by the efforts of one man, a D-Day veteran by the name of J. Robert Slaughter. And it is my pleasure now to welcome to our special D-Day 70th anniversary tribute April Cheek Messier, the president of the National D-Day Foundation. April, it is a uh, delight to have you, and I can tell you that on this day where we pay tribute to the great men who participated in D-Day, that it's only fitting that we bring you on because the location of the National D-Day Memorial, Bedford, Virginia, suffered the highest number of casualties per capita of any city or town in the United States. That is correct, and thank you so much for having me on on this very special day. Yes, it's a very solemn distinction here in Bedford, Virginia, but this uh, small community lost the most men per capita of any other uh, place in the country. This was a tiny community in 1944. You kind of grew up knowing one another. You went to school together. You went to church together. You just Everybody knew everyone else. And uh, this uh, young group of um, soldiers would be part of the 29th Division. They were a part of a National Guard unit, uh, Company A. And they would be tasked with going in on the first wave of the invasion on D-Day. There were, uh, in this particular unit in Company A, there were 170 men. 
91 were killed, 64 were wounded, leaving only about 15 of the entire company at the end of the day. Of that, there were quite a few Bedford boys. There were 37 Bedford boys who were involved in the landing, and 19 of the Company A Bedford boys would die within about the first 15 minutes of the landing. It was quite tragic. Well, and when we look at the video of the harsh conditions and the waves and and confronting the enemy with uh, almost at point blank with fire, it is just uh, incredible that our, our boys were able to scale those cliffs. But what I would like to do before we talk about the memorial, April, is yes. actually name, I'd like to recognize every one of the 19 Bedford boys that lost their lives uh, on D-Day. And here are the names. Leslie C. Abbott, Jr., Wallace R. Carter, John D. Clifton, Frank P. Draper, Jr., Captain Taylor N. Fellers, Nick N. Gillespie, Bedford T. Hobeck, Raymond S. Hobeck, Clifton G. Lee, Earl L. Parker, Jack G. Powers, Weldon A. Rosaza, John F. Reynolds, John B. Schenck, Ray O. Stevens, John L. Wilkes, Gordon H. White, Jr., Elmer P. Wright, and Grant C. Yop. And I can only imagine that back in 1944, the community of Bedford, Virginia, must have been absolutely devastated. Oh, it was a tragedy. And this, everyone, and keep in mind that they would not learn this news until a month and a half after the invasion had taken place. They were well aware that these young men were involved in the invasion. But if you can imagine not finding out news of their loved one for a month and a half, it would not be until mid-July when the telegrams would start arriving. And a young 21-year-old telegraph operator would be sitting in her machine as she turned it on one morning. Um, and these telegrams would start coming out one after another, after another, after another. They just kept coming. And trying to, trying to figure out how do you tell this heartbreaking news to families all across the community here was uh, was quite devastating. And so it certainly had an impact on this community. But Bedford is... I like to say Bedford is just emblematic of all of our communities across our country who nurtured these citizen soldiers, sent them to war, and so many of them never returned. Obviously, we lost over 400,000 during World War II. Everyone knew someone who didn't come home. And so I think Bedford is just really symbolic of that sacrifice. And tell us about the history of the museum. It, it The idea blossomed from D-Day veteran J. Robert Bob Slaughter, who... Yes. Just basically could not believe there was uh, there was not a memorial to the most really the Normandy the the Normandy invasion was the beginning of the end of World War II. It certainly was. It spelled the beginning of the end of Hitler's dreams of Nazi domination, for sure. It was uh, the turning point of World War II. And you're right, it came about, uh, the memorial here, because of one gentleman who, he he was at Omaha Beach on D-Day. He was in Company D of the uh, 116th Infantry Regiment, 29th Division. He was there on Omaha Beach, lost a lot of his comrades, um, and... He came back to the war like so many other World War II veterans and never discussed it. Just went about his business, went about his you know, job, his life, got married, had children. And it wasn't until he retired in the 1980s that he started to have these flashbacks of what had taken place uh, to him on Omaha Beach and those that he loved and, and 
his comrades, and he really was very distraught that no one in the country seemed to know what D-Day was, that the country seemed to have forgotten what a momentous, uh, historic event this was and how many young lives were lost uh, to preserve our freedoms. And he was determined to make sure that there was going to be some monument somewhere in this country uh, to commemorate that loss. Uh, as he worked on this project tirelessly, a lot of people told him to give up. A lot of pe- lot, even some of his fellow D-Day veterans said, "Nobody seems to care. It's not going to happen." And he refused to give up. And uh, within a very short time, he was walking the beaches with President Clinton. Um, and shortly after that, Congress did approve the national monument to D-Day to be placed here in Bedford, Virginia. Bedford donated um, a portion of the land for it to be built here. And um, even though it was approved by Congress, I will point out that we are not federally or state-funded. Everything that one sees here has come through private donations and the generosity of individuals. Uh, So we are not federally funded at all. It's a beautiful monument, and Bob Slaughter was so proud of of really seeing his dream come become a reality because here we teach young people, uh, the next generation, about the sacrifices that were made that day and how important it is that we honor our veterans each and every day. And as many of the greatest generation are no longer with us, it is even more important that we keep that legacy alive so that all future generations uh, know exactly the importance of World War II, that it is never forgotten, because lest we forget, uh, history shall repeat itself. Absolutely. There's so many lessons we can learn from D-Day, and uh, this is something that's very, very important to us. We spend a lot of time with young people. We have this wonderful military tent. We bring the kids in. We show them artifacts from the period. We collect veterans' histories. We make sure we're collecting their oral histories while they're still with us so that we can have those in the future. You know, the average D-Day veteran is about 92 years old now, and so we want to make sure we collect their stories, collect their memoirs. Um, we, We are very excited about the future. We, we plan on building an educational facility as well to go along with the monument so we can further share those stories and make sure that we preserve the lessons uh, for the next generation. Our special guest on this D-Day 70th anniversary tribute is April Cheek Messier, the president of the National D-Day Foundation and National D-Day Memorial in Bedford, Virginia. April, the museum sits on, uh, the monument, the museum sits on 88 Mm -hmm. acres at the base of the Blue Ridge Mountains. You're in Bedford, Virginia, between Roanoke and Lynchburg. That is correct. We're easy to get to. We're not in. We're not located in Washington, but we're not far from Washington D.C. Just a few hours. But the beautiful Blue Ridge Mountains surround us here in the community of Bedford. It's a wonderful place to come and pay tribute. And we see a lot of people who uh, who aren't just World War II veterans. We see our Korean War veterans, our Vietnam veterans, our veterans of today of of peacetime and and war who come out here. It's just a very special place of reflection. I think it takes people by surprise just. How large this monument is. As you mentioned, we sit on 88 acres. It's a beautiful site to really come and reflect on those who went before us and those who are willing to lay down their lives uh, for our freedoms. And, and I should mention that we are the only institution in the world to actually research the names of those who died on D-Day. That had never been done before. And so we have the only name-by-name listing of every soldier, sailor, airman, coast guardsman who died on D-Day on June the 6th, 1944. And that certainly is incredible, and I'm sure it is fascinating for people as they tour the, the monument, the museum. Tell us, uh, I'm looking at pictures on your website, which is uh, dday.org. 
And first of all, it is absolutely majestic. Uh, but what I find uh, interesting is you have a very unique monument, a very large monument, I believe, as you enter the National D-Day Memorial. Mm-hmm. We do. We, we really have the, the entire monument is laid out to tell the story of the Normandy invasion. So we have what we call our planning and preparation stage, where our garden is laid out in the form of the Shafe Patch, which was the supreme headquarters of the Allied Expeditionary Forces. And so a very unique garden that one can learn about all the preparations that went into the invasion. Then you enter our plaza that commemorates the invasion scene itself, which is a large invasion tableau. It's a pool, basically, that looks like a Higgins craft sitting in the center with a ramp down, replicating the troops coming off of that landing craft as they try to make their way across the beaches. We have sculptures that are in the water, really signifying their valor, their fidelity, their sacrifice that morning. We have the architectural design of the German bunkers that you would have encountered on D-Day as they were trying to approach those beaches, Uh, the devastating gunfire that came out of uh, those bunkers, and we actually replicate that in the water. It looks like bullets are hitting the water. Uh, We replicate that through the air jets kind of coming out of the water. It's very chilling. It really provides you a sense of um, what it must have been like that morning. And then, of course, the centerpiece of the memorial is the large victory arch. Our victory arch is exactly 44 feet, 6 inches tall for the date of the D-Day invasion, June 6, 1944, and that represents the victory that was eventually achieved um, from the invasion. So there's a lot of symbolism here. It's wonderful to walk around and see all these different aspects of the memorial and learn more about this historic event. You mentioned the sculpture of the of one of our troops waiting in the, uh, in the water on the beaches, yeah. about to storm the beaches, and he's got his hands up, he's got his hands on, on his gun, and I, I can just picture especially seeing the video of the invasion of Normandy, you can just, I think that is such an incredible representation of what it was like and actually have that statue in the water, that sculpture in the water, I think is is tremendous. And you are uh, currently in the process of, I believe, uh, commissioning a couple of structures or you have a new a couple of, of, of sculptures. And, sculptures. Yeah, and they're, they're basically uh, two troops, and you can see they look fatigued. Uh, they're in their battle, uh, their battle gear, and you're trying to raise. Uh, I think you're dedicating it, if I'm not mistaken, next Friday. The sculpture that we're dedicating is called Homage, and it's a it's a beautiful sculpture of a soldier who's standing before an. A, M1 inverted rifle, uh, how they marked the temporary shallow graves during World War II was the M1 inverted rifle, the helmet on top, of course, and the dog tags hanging from it. And this soldier is just gazing over that particular M1. Um, and you can imagine it, it very reflective of, uh, of all those troops who lost their friends, who lost their buddies. And uh, I think it's a very powerful piece that speaks not just to D-Day, but I think for any anyone who has served and lost a friend in battle. I think this is a very moving sculpture and a very moving sculpture to people at home. To us, it signifies the home front losses as well. Those who, who, those loved ones never came home again. So it's a very moving piece and we will be dedicating that, that, um, uh, as well. And it's, uh, I think people will be very, uh, moved by the story that it tells. And I know that, uh, uh, people that are listening that, uh, want to get, uh, involved with the National D-Day 
Memorial right on your website at dday.org. Or if you go to CigarDave.com, we've got links directly to the National D-Day Memorial website. There's ways that you can donate, that you can buy a brick, that you can buy various plaques, uh, as well as become a member. And, uh, April, I can tell you that the next time that I am heading up north, I will absolutely make a special diversion to visit the National D-Day Memorial. And I'd like to end it with the dedica- an excerpt from the dedication speech that President George W. Bush uh, gave back on June 6, 2001, when the, when the uh, uh, memorial was, was dedicated and opened. He said, quote, 57 years ago, America and the nations of Europe formed a bond that has never been broken, and all of us incurred a debt that can never be repaid. Today, as America dedicates our D-Day memorial, we pray that our country will always be worthy of the courage that delivered us from evil and saved the free world. And I am sure, April, that when our uh, our visitors come to the National D-Day memorial, I'm sure that they will be uh, overwhelmed by the courage of our great... uh, greatest generation that went over and saved the world really from uh, from evil. And uh, that's, that's a, right. a, a legacy that will last in perpetuity. That's absolutely beautifully said. We, we, this, is, this was an army of teenagers. We should never forget what they did that day and throughout the war, and let us always remember them. April Cheek Messier, the president of the National D-Day Foundation, I thank you so much for joining us on our special 70th anniversary D-Day tribute. I will make sure that I contact you before I head up so I have the opportunity to meet you. And we appreciate you joining us today. Please do. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Lieutenants, our D-Day 70th anniversary tribute continues. We invite you to share the in the conversational and tribute maneuvers at 877-DAVE-007. That is 877-328-3007. Commemorating the 70th anniversary of D-Day. This special edition of The Cigar Dave Show continues next. You walk into a cigar shop, stare at hundreds of choices, and wonder as you take in the aroma. Go with an old standard or try something new? Lead or follow? That's the real question here, isn't it? Next time, choose to lead with a premium cigar from Royal Gold Cigars. Royal Gold Cigars introduces two exciting new premium cigar lines, Casino Gold HRS High Roller Selection and Kismet. Hand-rolled in Honduras with a blend of four distinct quality fillers wrapped in a rich Habano Rosado wrapper, the Casino Gold HRS is a medium-bodied cigar for high rollers who never gamble on flavor. For a robust option, try our bold Dominican Puro, Kismet, meaning destiny, a blend of six Dominican tobaccos. It's bold, smooth, burns evenly, and leaves a clean white ash. There, we narrowed the options. Lead or follow. Visit royalgoldcigars.com. Surgeon General Warning. Tobacco use increases the risk of infertility, stillbirth, and low birth weight. The 16th Annual Charlotte Live Pleasure Invasion on Saturday, June 14th at the Ballantyne is presented by Altanis USA, maker of fine cigars, the Tinderbox Charlotte, and News Talk 1110 WBT and 99.3 FM. As a cigar connoisseur, one of the pleasures that we derive is walking into our retailer's humidor and seeing the latest and greatest in the world of cigars. Nine years ago, I had the idea that I wanted to share great cigars with the cigar lieutenants. So... 
the Officers Club was born. Every month, you will receive three fantastic premium cigars direct to your door, shipped in a very dapper Officers Club customized Ziploc cigar pouch. $22.95 per month gets you the latest and greatest in the world of cigars. No long-term contracts. You can cancel whenever you want. You enjoy great cigars right to your door. Names like Perdomo, Diamond Crown, Brickhouse, San Latano, Rocky Patel, Torano, CAO, Avo, Camacho, Greycliff, and many more. Join the Officers Club today. Go to CigarDave.com, click on Officers Club, and for $22.95, you'll get the latest and greatest in the world of cigars. Enjoy the latest and greatest cigars shipped directly to you. Join the Cigar Dave Officers Club now, and you'll receive three premium cigars every month. Membership is just $22.95, including shipping and handling. Join by going to CigarDave.com now. That's CigarDave.com. Click on Officers Club. They bravely scaled the cliffs at Normandy in the name of freedom on June 6, 1944. Seventy years later, we honor and remember their heroic acts. One of the 19 boys that was killed in action on D-Day while storming the beaches is Frank P. Draper Jr. of Bedford, Virginia. We just spoke about it in the last segment with April Cheeks Messier of the National D-Day Foundation. And here is a poem that was uncovered by the museum. And this was written while he was training in England for the Normandy invasion, invasion, entitled Can't Say. I can't tell you from where I write. I can't tell you the day. I can't tell you for whom I fight. There's nothing I can say. I can't tell you the moon is bright. I can't say rain is falling. I have to write by candlelight till I hear a bugle calling. I can't say what we're going to do. I can't say where we're going. I can't say much to interest you, so don't ask what we're doing. I can't say what we have to eat. I can't say whether it's good. I can't say how I have to sleep on dirty ground or wood. I can't say when my day is through or where I'd like to be. I can't say much at all to you, so just say a lot to me. Frank P. Draper, Jr. of Company A, 116th Infantry, from Bedford, Virginia, one of the 19 boys from Bedford that was killed on D-Day. Let us go to Matt in Nashville, Tennessee. You are front and center on this special 70th D-Day tribute. Long ashes, General. Back at you. I uh, I personally served in, uh, in Iraq with the Army, and what these young men did back 70 years ago I have the utmost respect and the most heartfelt gratitude for what they did because if they had done what they had done in their day, I would not have been able to lead my soldiers through Iraq the way I did, sir. Well, and Matt, I I know I speak on behalf of every American and all of our listeners that we thank you for your great service as well. I couldn't have done it without what we have so rightly named America's greatest generation, sir. I uh, have to agree, and I like to think that our future, our current generation and future generations will live up to those high ideals. Matt, I appreciate your service, and I thank you so much for joining us today. Scott in Orlando, 
Welcome to the special edition of the Cigar Dave Show. Long ashes to you, General. Back at you. General, I'd like to uh, uh, express my uh, deepest gratitude to you for your, you and your show, and especially for this show, uh, for honoring our veterans. And uh, we, we, all, we all appreciate you, every single one of your listeners. Well, I appreciate that. No thanks are necessary. Frankly, I look at uh, it's an important uh, duty. And frankly, for the last few weeks, we were working hard on this show because uh, we didn't want to let any of our great uh, D-Day vets down. And I think it's only appropriate that we put the same effort that they put in uh, to to what they did uh, during the service to this country in World War II. Absolutely. And General Maya Grant is a World War II veteran, and his birthday is coming up. And I wanted to get a very special cigar for him. He loves fine cigars, and I wanted to get your recommendations on a good cigar for him. Well, I'll tell you, you can never go wrong with a Padron 1964 anniversary. You can never go wrong with a uh, Julius Caesar by Diamond Crown or a Diamond Crown or a Monte Cristo. Uh, You can never go wrong with a Davidoff, any of those cigars. And, Scott, tell you what we'll do. We'll send send you out some Julius Caesar by Diamond Crowns for, uh, for him. Just a great, great cigar that I know he will enjoy, and I thank you for joining us today on this special show. Lieutenants, we have another hour of D-Day 70th anniversary tribute that we will continue. Next hour, we'll be joined by my mother, cigar mother, alpha male mother, for two reasons. Number one, she actually lived in an area that was being pursued by the Nazis, by Rommel, in the North uh, African continent, and also her experience to share with you visiting the Normandy American Cemetery as well as the beaches at Normandy. We'll also be joined by World War II paratrooper, veteran, and uh, hero Thomas Jefferson Blakey. This This is CCRN, the Cigar Connoisseur Radio Network. From Command Center Alpha 1A in the cigar city of Tampa, Florida, USA. This is a special edition of the Cigar Dave Show, the D Day 70th Anniversary Tribute. To participate in honoring the heroic soldiers who scaled the cliffs at Normandy on June 6, 1944, join us at 877 Dave 007. That's 877-328-3007. And now, America's Alpha Male-in-Chief, the General Cigar Dave. In just a moment, I will be joined by Cigar Mother to talk about her visit to the Normandy beaches, talk about uh, visiting the Normandy American Cemetery, and also experiencing World War II Firsthand, But before we do that, I would like to play a clip about the Normandy American Cemetery, for which we will talk in just a few moments, because it encompasses 172 acres, and there are 9,387 Americans that are buried there. And there are 41 sets of brothers. It is hallowed ground, as we will discuss in just a few moments. But I would like to play a brief informational clip about the Normandy American Cemetery, followed by taps as we remember every member of our armed forces or the Allied forces that gave their lives in World War II and in the D-Day and Normandy invasions. (laughs) 
More than 2,000 Americans died on the shores of Normandy on June 6, 1944, known to all as D-Day. On a cliff high above it rests the Normandy American Cemetery, one of the world's best-known military cemeteries. Buried on these hallowed grounds are the remains of nearly 9,400 servicemen and women who died on and around Omaha and Utah beaches and in the struggle that followed to break out from the beachhead. Every year, millions of visitors pay their respects and learn more about history. Brigadier General Theodore Roosevelt, Jr. is one of three Medal of Honor recipients buried here. There are 38 sets of brothers buried next to one another. At the center of the cemetery sits a small chapel. A ceiling mosaic depicts America blessing her sons as they depart to fight for freedom. In the open arc of the memorial facing the graves area is a 22-foot bronze statue, the spirit of American youth rising from the waves. The names of the missing are carved into garden walls behind the memorial. Visitors can visualize the daunting challenge and intense combat of the D-Day landings from an overlook just north of the memorial. And may all our great veterans rest in peace. It is my pleasure to welcome to the show this special 70th D-Day tribute show. My mother, cigar mother, alpha male mother, joining us from the Buffalo Theater of Operations. Mom, you had the opportunity back in 2005 to visit the beaches at Normandy and the Normandy American Cemetery. And I would like you to share your experiences and your thoughts uh, because you said it would have a profound impact upon you. Yes, it definitely did, and thank you for having me. Um, well, we did go. It was a trip I always wanted to take, and it was very meaningful to me because I did live through World War II, and uh, we we took the trip. We went to Paris, and, but we went right to uh, uh, Normandy, and this was really what we wanted to do. We went to Normandy, and the first thing we did was we were in a small group with American people, and we went to Point York. And as you mentioned, Point York was a very important place, and this was where it all began. Um, it was really the boldest raid in history, and uh, it, it's 
it was uh, there was a, a Lieutenant Colonel James Rudder, who was really a rancher from Texas, who led who who led the uh, the group, and he went they went up a hundred foot cliff as you mentioned, to try and destroy the enemy. Well, it wasn't very easy. However, by the grace of God, they did manage with a lot of casualties. They did go up and they were able to uh, to overtake that. Um, we started walking around the area. There were bunkers that were so embedded you couldn't see any you couldn't see a face inside. All you could see was guns. Um, then you walked around and uh, it was very quiet. It was a, a weird day. It was very rainy, misty, cold, and this was July. So then we walked around Omaha Beach. We looked first. We looked down, and we couldn't believe how how far down it was. Those cliffs were unbelievable, and you and you think, how on earth were they ever were able to climb up there? But they did. Um, we walked around, and we we overlooked o- Omaha Beach. And as I turned around, I saw there was a stairway going down to the beach. And I told Dad, I said, uh, I'm going down to the beach. I have to go down to the beach. I went down, and I stood there. I just really, I felt very emotional. I felt I was on on, on sacred ground, sacred sand. And I took a handful of sand. I held it in my hand. I put it in a bag. And I went upstairs and I said, I'm going to send some to Dave because this is a very important day. Um, unfortunately, uh, Omaha Beach was really one of the bloodiest beach because of all the casualties they had. You could see the uh, the mines are still there. Everything is, is intact the way it was. Uh, after that... We went to the American Cemetery. The American Cemetery is about eight miles away, and it's in Colville-sur-Mer. And yes, um, we we went. As we were going in, we saw a. Uh, we heard. Uh, we heard. I heard music, and I said, "What is this?" Hello. Yeah, we're here. Go ahead. Oh. And we heard um, there was a, a Carillion that was playing God Bless America and uh, America the Beautiful and very softly. And as he went in, it was awfully, awfully quiet. And uh, you, the first thing we saw, I saw, was this beautiful statue, this bronze, 22-foot bronze statue. And... You know, as as you mentioned, it said the spirit of American youth rising from the waves, and the hand is outstretched up to the sky. And I thought it was very appropriate and very beautiful. And then from then on, there's a reflective pool, and after the reflective pool, your eyes go go your eyes go to just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of white tombstones all you see so immaculate and so 
so well placed. And as we walked around, we walked around, and it, it was very moving to see that some were 19, 20, young, very young, young, young. And um, they were still playing the songs, and there were no sounds. There was, there was nothing else to be heard. There were people from all walks of life, people from all over the con- different countries, and it was so quiet, it was so reverent, it was so respectful that there wasn't even a whisper. All you could hear is shuffling of, uh, of the feet. And I thought it was really extremely emotional and very moving. And then there's also uh, there's a chapel there that says, I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Um, it was a very extremely uh, uh, difficult day, and I think when we were when we were done, we went to the bus. We all looked at each other. Nobody said a word, and I thought how appropriate. It was cold. It was raining, and it just was really. It fit the mood. And you did mention that, and you said you could just picture what they went through on that day oh. with the waves and yes. the, the oh, mist and the clouds. Terrible. Yes, it was. It and then was. looking up at those cliffs, you said, how did these boys get up there? Unbelievable. The guts they had, the, the courage. What heroes? The rangers were really the heroes. They, well, they're all heroes. And we will, we will talk about the boys at Point du Hoc uh, in the next segment. Mom, very quickly, you lived in Alexandria, Egypt. You grew up in Alexandria, Egypt. It was under yes, British uh, control, British rule. Yes. And uh, you had to, you experienced the Nazis' World War II with the bombing campaigns, and you went into the uh, bunkers every night. We did every night. Every night we, we ended up in the bunker, yes, in underground shelters. Yes, we did. And... Uh, Rommel was at our doorstep, but thank goodness for the Americans. <laughs> well, the Americans and, and also the British, because and the at British, Al- of course, right. Montgomery, Montgomery, yes, Montgomery. Right, at El Alamein, both first in, in July 1942, and then the second battle at Alamein in September of 1942. Yeah. Uh, Lieutenant General Bernard Montgomery was able to repel him, and of course, the greatest general of them all, General George S. Patton, got to North Africa and took care of yes, the Nazis, and right. that was the end that's of that. That's right. That's right, your hero. <laughs> Absolutely, the greatest general of them all. Well, Mom, I want to thank you for sharing that experience yeah, because clearly welcome. just listening, you can. I think all of our uh, listeners certainly got the experience of what it was like on that hallowed ground uh, yeah. on the beaches of Normandy. Thank you. Okay, Mom, thank I will you. talk to you later. And as always, I appreciate you, uh, appreciate you sharing that. I know you did it my five pleasure. years ago, and we appreciate it. That yeah, is my, my pleasure. Okay, Mom, we will talk to you later. That is Cigar Mother, my mother, Piera, up from the Buffalo Theater of Operations. Lieutenants, when we continue our 70th D-Day tribute show, we will talk about the boys at Point du Oak. The D-Day 70th anniversary tribute will continue next on the Cigar Dave Show.
Listen up, all you cigar lieutenants. We've got your next set of marching orders. While it seems like everyone is busy trying to wussify America, there are still some who value the premium cigar good life. Head over to CigarMaestro.com, where you can learn directly from some of the most knowledgeable cigar experts in the world. The Grupo de los Maestros, the makers of great brands including Monte Cristo, Romeo e Giulietta, H. Upman, and many others. When you understand the hard work and skill that goes into crafting every hand-rolled cigar, you'll appreciate every new smoke even more. Finish the training and then pass the test to earn a true symbol of alpha male cigar knowledge, the Certificado de los Maestros. You already love premium cigars, but now you can take that appreciation to the next level. Visit CigarMaestro.com today. CigarMaestro.com is an exclusive premium cigar educational website for adults age 21 and up. Surgeon General Warning, cigars are not a safe alternative to cigarettes. As a cigar connoisseur, one of the pleasures that we derive is walking into our retailer's humidor and seeing the latest and greatest in the world of cigars. Nine years ago, I had the idea that I wanted to share great cigars with the cigar lieutenants. So, the Officers Club was born. Every month, you will receive three fantastic premium cigars direct to your door, shipped in a very dapper Officers Club customized Ziploc cigar pouch. $22.95 per month gets you the latest and greatest in the world of cigars. No long-term contracts. You can cancel whenever you want. You enjoy great cigars right to your door. Names like Perdomo, Diamond Crown, Brickhouse, San Latano, Rocky Patel, Torano, CAO, Avo, Camacho, Greycliff, and many more. Join the Officers Club today. Go to CigarDave.com, click on Officers Club, and for $22.95, you'll get the latest and greatest in the world of cigars. It's an exquisite day here at the Jensen Estate patio overlooking the 13th green. And we're underway. Jim Jensen has chosen his favorite stick. The Diamond Crown Number no. 4 by J.C. Newman. See the way he holds the cigar, Tom? Mm. Excellent balance and heft. Ooh, he's eyeing the silky Connecticut Shade Wrapper. Fermented twice for the smoothest, richest flavor. And hand-rolled by the Fuente family with a blend of six to seven distinct Dominican and Caribbean basin tobacco leaves. Each lovingly aged for at least five years. Oh, now Jensen's lighting up the Diamond Crown. He's got a precision burn, Tom. Mm, those highly complex flavors with hints of dark chocolate really deliver, Bill. Yes, like all cigars in J.C. Newman's premium diamond crown line. That'd be the highly rated Maximus and the Julius Caesar. Ah, now Jensen's settling in, rolling the rich smoke through his nose. Look at the satisfaction on his face, Bill. Oh, a thing of beauty, Tom. Experience the premium Diamond Crown brand by J.C. Newman at select retailers or Diamond Crown Lounge near you. Find us on Facebook at J.C. Newman Cigar Co. or visit DiamondCrown.com. Commemorating the 70th anniversary of the Allied invasion of Normandy with the General Cigar Dave. One of the key members of World War II we talked about in the last segment, General George S. Patton, in my estimation, the greatest general of them all. General Patton was involved in numerous campaigns in North Africa as well as uh, the Battle of the Bulge and, and in Sicily, but... For a year, he was put to the sideline after slapping a soldier. So he was essentially put out for exile. But because the Germans believed that Patton was the finest general which the Americans had, which I would tend to agree with, 
They feared that Patton was going to be the one to launch an assault on the Atlantic Wall. So for about six months prior, they, the Allies created a diversion campaign, a deception plan. So George Patton was fictitiously leading the Special First uh, Army Unit that did not exist But they created balloons, they created things to look like tanks so that when the Nazis were doing recon, they would see this. Well, General Patton, before the the invasion, did give a speech. And here are some excerpts from the speech from the movie Patton. And I will say it is far cleaned up from the original version that he gave. I want you to remember that no bastard ever won war by dying for his country. He won it by making the other poor dumb bastard die for his country. Men, all this stuff you've heard about America not wanting to fight, wanting to stay out of the war, is a lot of horse dung. Americans traditionally love to fight. All real Americans love the sting of battle. Americans love a winner and will not tolerate a loser. Americans play to win all the time. I wouldn't give a hoot in hell for a man who lost and laughed. That's why Americans have never lost and will never lose a war. Because the very thought of losing is hateful to Americans. Now, an army is a team. It lives, eats, sleeps, fights as a team. This individuality stuff is a bunch of crap. The bilious bastards who wrote that stuff about individuality for the Saturday Evening Post don't know anything more about real battle than they do about fornicating. Now, we have the finest food and equipment, the best spirit, and the best men in the world. You know, by God, I actually pity those poor bastards we're going up against. By God, I do. We're not just going to shoot the bastards. We're going to cut out their living guts and use them to grease the treads of our tanks. We're going to murder those lousy Hun bastards by the bushel. The Nazis are the enemy. Wade into them. Spill their blood. Shoot them in the belly. I don't want to get any messages saying that we are holding our position. We're not holding anything. Let the Hun do that. We are advancing constantly, and we're not interested in holding on to anything except the enemy. We're going to hold on to him by the nose, and we're going to kick him in the ass. We're going to kick the hell out of him all the time, and we're going to go through him like crap through a goose. And our boys in World War II sure as hell did just that. The original speech contained far more eloquent profanity than what was uh, portrayed in the movie Patton. And at the time that Patton gave that speech, a night or two before the D-Day invasion, the senior commanders thought it was over the top. But the enlisted men, the troops, 
They loved it. They thought it was great. You could hear a you you could hear a pin drop because they were focused on the great general George S. Patton. He motivated them. He got them ready. The greatest general of them all. An Operation Fortitude, which was a fictitious campaign by the Allies, where Patton led the fictitious first U.S. Army group in England, turned out to be a smashing success because the Nazis and Hitler thought for sure it would be Patton that would invade at Calais, and it wasn't. And Patton was stationed in England until June, July 6, 1944, continuing to deceive the Germans into believing a second attack would take place at Calais. The greatest general of them all, General George S. Patton, D-Day, 70th anniversary tribute, shall continue. It's been 70 years since our young soldiers stormed the beaches in France to liberate Europe. Remembrance maneuvers continue after this on The Cigar Dave Show. Lieutenants, we are exactly T-minus two weeks and counting until the 2014 Charlotte Live Broadcast Pleasure Invasion. We will be front and center Saturday, June 14th at the Ballantine Hotel, the five-star Ballantine Hotel, as we launch the new Banker by H. Upman. Every lieutenant in attendance of legal age will receive a complimentary Banker by H. Upman. It will be an afternoon of alpha male pleasure maneuvers. We'll have our live broadcast. We'll have delicious delicacies, cool libations, fantastic cigar deals, and wonderful camaraderie and conversational maneuvers. It is Saturday, June 14th at the Ballantine Hotel. Doors open 11. Broadcast begins at noon. All the details at CigarDave.com. If you want to come in from out of town, there are special room rates the Ballantine Hotel is offering for our lieutenants. Just go to CigarDave.com for all the details. It is the 2014 Charlotte Live Broadcast Pleasure Invasion, Saturday, June 14th at the Ballantine Hotel in Charlotte. Welcome to the Cigar Dave Show. If you'd like to join the alpha male conversational maneuvers, call me during the live show, Saturdays 12 noon to 2 p.m. Eastern Time at 877-DAVE-007. That's Saturdays 12 noon to 2 p.m. Eastern Time at 877-328-3007. Commemorating the 70th anniversary of the Allied invasion of Normandy with the General Cigar Dave. All right, before we uh, uh, have our conversation with Thomas Jefferson Blakey, who was one of the paratroopers of the 82nd Airborne Division on D-Day, let us say hello to uh, Donald in the suburbs of the Cigar City. You are front and center. Hey, Long Ashes General. Back at you. Yes, what a what a great show and, and tribute to our our military. I've had some uh, really good friends that were in the armed forces. My daughter just uh, married uh, somebody who is in his seventh year in the air force this past January, and they are stationed up in Charleston. And uh, I had the uh, privilege of was uh, hanging out with them two weeks ago. I got to stay on base with them, and my uh, grandson. He gets to see the airplanes, and uh, it's just a, just a great thing. 
great thing. Beautiful, and I appreciate your your fine comments. I think that is the very least that we can do. We we I think it's so important that we keep the memory alive, especially as many of our World War II greatest generation vets are departing the earth. It is imperative that we remember the lessons of World War II. That we have to be strong, peace, peace through strength. And I believe, Absolutely. unfortunately, that uh, we currently have a commander-in-chief that does not understand that. We learned the important lessons important. of World War II, and we kept the peace by being a strong country and being a strong military. We never went out to conquer. We always sought to protect the rights and liberties and freedoms of other people, and that is uh, so exactly. important. Donald, I appreciate it. My mother lived through World War II. She was, she, Hitler invaded her her town in Poland back in 1939. Well, I appreciate you sharing that with us, Donald, and I appreciate the comments, and we can uh, never forget. Five years ago, for the D-Day 65th anniversary tribute we conducted here on the Cigar Dave Show, I had the privilege and honor of speaking with a World War II veteran who was involved in the D-Day landing, Thomas Jefferson Blakey. He was a paratrooper in the 82nd Airborne Division, landing at St. Marcouf. And I'm pleased to report that Mr. Blakey is doing well. He is into his 90s. And the reason he could not join us live today is because he is en route to Normandy for the 70th anniversary tribute maneuvers later this week. But here is the interview from five years ago, and I began by asking him about enlisting and becoming a paratrooper. Time magazine in 1940, about the middle of the year, did an eight-page spread on the new army. It was airborne. When I read that, I decided that's where I wanted to do, and I did. I enlisted in the army shortly after Pearl Harbor. Uh, they couldn't take us at the time. We was we was put off a couple of months got in and went through basic training and then went through parachute school and became qualified as a parachutist. Uh, Tom, if you would relate to us before, what were the preparations before uh, the the landings at Normandy, the invasion at Normandy, D-Day? Tell us the preparations uh, ahead of time, what you experienced and what you were told prior to that day. We were told uh, prior to that day... <clears throat> We practiced taking taking the areas that we were supposed to take when we got on the ground in Normandy. We jumped. We found we found our areas. We practiced taking the cities, the bridges, and setting up the road junctions. And we did everything we were supposed to do when we got on the ground, and we did. Tell us about. When you were going over, because you actually uh, parachuted in prior to the uh, amphibious landings in the morning, but you had to, there was a short window because you had to have the moonlight to be able to, the pilots had to, to be able to see where they were going to, uh, where you were going to jump. So tell well, us. It, was, it, was, it had been cloudy and raining for a week. We did get a break in the weather. We got, we were behind the front that was going through. So we had moonlight and and clear weather. We got in front of it, and we jumped, and it was in front of the front. 
it was still raining, not bad, but raining. The front went through us about 3, 4 o'clock in the morning and cleared the beaches out. So when they landed on the beaches, the front had already gone through. And tell us, when you landed, what did you see? What did you experience? Paint a picture, if you could, for our listeners. Well, I just saw the surroundings. I didn't see anybody. I was not anywhere near any of my fellas. So I was by myself. I was by myself until... Oh, I don't know, four thirty, five o'clock in the morning. And then I had gotten together with six other fellas. That must have been a little bit on the scary side. Uh, you know, being behind enemy lines, it's dark. Uh, none of your, your fellow paratroopers were there. Uh, what, what was going through your mind at the time, or were you just so focused on uh, the mission at hand? Well, everybody has fear. I mean, in, from you have fear from childhood. It goes through your life. You have to learn to live with it and to, and to control it. We were, we did that. We were supposed to do what we did, and we did regardless of fear. Tom, let me ask you, when, when, when dawn came, from there, where did you go? Where did you move to? We, liked it. we went, went moving around to find a, maybe find a road sign that would tell us where we were. Then we would know where to go. We had maps, and we knew where we, if we could find where we were, we knew how to get to where we were supposed to be. And did you encounter the enemy along the route? No, we dodged them. There was plenty of them around, but they were in big groups, and we were just six. What do you, what do you, you know? We just we were stayed out of their way to get to where we were supposed to be. And from there, tell us about the subsequent uh, number of weeks uh, after, you know, the, the beaches were captured. Tell us about your movements thereafter. We went, the 82nd went uh, east across the peninsula of Carantan to cut a road going from Paris to Cherbourg. And we did. That was to keep the troops from coming down and escaping Sarahburg and to keep them from being reinforced. And that wasn't your only jump, because uh, after the Normandy operations, you participated in the Allied invasion of Holland in September yes. 1944. Yes. Tell us about that. Holland was a, was a mistake. It should have never come off. It was... It was a, fiasco to start with and it never got any better we were there uh, I don't forget how many days but we were there and, and it was we took the American boys took the trips the tricks the bridges that they were supposed to take and held them the Germans had was on both sides of the road and when the British came through in their lorries and tanks they were just picked Tom, let me ask you, do you remember when you found out the war was over? Yeah, I remember. Tell us about that. I was in Paris. <laughs> Not a bad place to be. <laughs> a wonderful place. Champagne flowed all day. <laughs> and I'm sure some very nice uh, Parisian women as well. Oh, it was wonderful. Everybody was so happy. The Parisians were just, you just can't imagine how happy they were. They loved the Americans back then. 
Yes, they did. And, and in Normandy, they still do. They still pay very high esteem uh, to the Americans. And, and uh, when did you return stateside? In uh, June of 45. And then you got into the oil and gas business? and you, After uh, I got discharged, yes. Beautiful. And you, you, you lived in Houston and then in New Orleans? Right. Excellent. Now, do you are there any other men uh, that you still keep in touch with back no. from? Most of them are gone. I'll tell you, and, and I saw you were on Fox News yesterday, and I I discussed this at length, that I think it is an absolute travesty and an outrage that we don't have one complete year of World War II history in our nation's high schools. Well, we had it for a while, and now they cut it out. Uh, we I belong to a to a a group that goes around to different schools, clubs, places that that uses speakers, and we keep we keep going with that and putting the message out that that uh, we want to get out about Normandy and World War Two. Well, Tom, I will tell you that we don't forget, my listeners don't forget, and I'm going to be at the Cigar Retailers Convention in New Orleans oh, this summer. Look us up. I'm, I'm going to be there. It would be my honor and privilege to be able to meet you at the World War II Museum in New Orleans, and I would like, like to have you for a much longer interview on the show at that time. And I know I speak on not just behalf of my listeners, every American, Mr. Blakely, we great, uh, greatly appreciate your service to this nation. You are indeed a hero. No, no. I will beg to differ, Mr. Blakey. There was 400,000 young men killed in World War II. No question. They are under white crosses all over the world. True American hero and patriot Thomas Jefferson Blakey, my interview with him five years ago, served as a paratrooper in the 82nd Airborne Division who was front and center for the Normandy landings, landing behind enemy lines. What an honor and a privilege to have him with us, and I'm pleased to report once again he is doing well, and he is en route to Normandy for the 70th anniversary tribute. The D-Day 70th anniversary tribute will continue next on The Cigar Dave Show. Okay, people, we've just been awarded the Brickhouse Ad Account. Now, this cigar was named Best Bargain Cigar of 2009 by Cigar Aficionado, got a 91 rating, plus it's the hottest cigar on the market. So, we need an award-winning slogan. He's a brick. How? What about, it's not your grandfather's cigar? Ah, it's been done. Next? How about good to the last draw? Ah, something original, people. You deserve a brick today? Now, who are you? Do you even work here? Excuse me, sir. Am I to understand that every Brickhouse cigar is built with all the flavor and quality of the premium cigars of yesteryear? Yesteryear? Really? That's right, Bixby. But yeah, it costs around five bucks each. Indeed. Well, sir, people don't really need a slogan. They don't? No, sir. Then what do they need? Five bucks and a comfortable chair. Five bucks and a comfortable chair? Genius! Meet the perfect cigar to share with friends. Brickhouse by J.C. Newman. Handmade in Nicaragua with a fine Havana Subido wrapper. Brickhouse starts out earthy and crisp and burns well-rounded and smooth. Nothing stands the test of a good time like a Brickhouse. For more, visit BrickhouseCigars.com. America is under attack. 
Basic freedoms, privileges, and acts that we would normally take for granted are disappearing each day, including the simple ability to enjoy a cigar. This is Glenn Loop, Executive Director of Cigar Rights of America, CRA. At a time when elected officials should be thinking about education, public safety, and creating jobs, they are actually thinking about smoking bans, new taxes, and regulations of historic proportions on premium cigars. The cigars that provide us with pleasure, relaxation, and fellowship are under attack. We have to stop it. That's why Cigar Rights of America was created, to work for a new political day for cigar enthusiasts across America, to roll back restrictive laws and defeat onerous taxes and regulations that impact everyone, from your local cigar shop to your personal humidor. For the price of a few great cigars, be a part of this effort to protect your right to enjoy a cigar without excessive taxation and cumbersome legislation. Go to CigarRights.org. Let's tell the government we've had enough. Join now, CigarRights.org. They bravely scaled the cliffs at Normandy in the name of freedom on June 6, 1944. Seventy years later, we honor and remember their heroic acts. When Supreme Allied Commander Dwight D. Eisenhower made the decision to launch Operation Overlord, the Nazis and the, 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 the powers that be in Nazi Germany felt there was no way the Allied forces would launch an invasion with the current weather conditions. Well, when it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. And the beginning, a key part of Operation Overlord, of D-Day, was at Pointe du Oak which is a promontory with a 100-foot cliff overlooking the English Channel on the coast of Normandy in northern France, the highest point between Utah Beach to the west and Omaha Beach to the east. The German army fortified that area with concrete casements and gun pits, and it was essential for the Rangers to scale the cliff at Point du Oak and take out six 155-millimeter Nazi cannons with a range of 25,000 yards. Those cannons had a commanding view of both Omaha and Utah beaches and the potential to cause tremendous damage to the invading force. On July, correction, on June 6, 1984, President Ronald Reagan spoke at Point du Hoc. We're here to mark that day in history when the Allied armies joined in battle to reclaim this continent to liberty. For four long years, much of Europe had been under a terrible shadow. Free nations had fallen. Jews cried out in the camps. Millions cried out for liberation. Europe was enslaved, and the world prayed for its rescue. Here in Normandy, the rescue began. Here, the Allies stood and fought against tyranny in a giant undertaking unparalleled in human history. We stand on a lonely, windswept point on the northern shore of France. The air is soft, but 40 years ago at this moment, the air was dense with smoke and the cries of men, and the air was filled with the crack of rifle fire and the roar of cannon. At dawn on the morning of the 6th of June, 1944, 
225 rangers jumped off the British landing craft and ran to the bottom of these cliffs. Their mission was one of the most difficult and daring of the invasion, to climb these sheer and desolate cliffs and take out the enemy guns. The Allies had been told that some of the mightiest of these guns were here, and they would be trained on the beaches to stop the Allied advance. The Rangers looked up and saw the enemy soldiers at the edge of the cliffs shooting down at them with machine guns and throwing grenades, and the American Rangers began to climb. They shot rope ladders over the face of these cliffs and began to pull themselves up. When one Ranger fell, another would take his place. When one rope was cut, a Ranger would grab another and begin his climb again. They climbed, shot back, and held their footing. Soon, one by one, the Rangers pulled themselves over the top, and in seizing the firm land at the top of these cliffs, they began to seize back the continent of Europe. 225 came here. After two days of fighting, only 90 could still bear arms. And behind me is a memorial that symbolizes the Ranger daggers that were thrust into the top of these cliffs. And before me are the men who put them there. These are the boys of Puente Hope. These are the men who took the cliffs. These are the champions who helped free a continent. And these are the heroes who helped end a war. And I remember watching that on June 6, 1984. I was in college. President Reagan, with tremendous gravitas, spoke so eloquently without the use of a teleprompter, delivering heartfelt words. And watching those rangers as he spoke to them after was uh, overly emotional. I would like to read now a quote from General Eisenhower, who, all, who started it with, okay, let's go, his order, back in 1944. And in 1964, on D-Day plus 20 years, he was interviewed on Omaha Beach. Looking out at the channel, Eisenhower said, and I quote, You see these people out here swimming and sailing their little pleasure boats and taking advantage of the nice weather and the lovely beach. And it is almost unreal to look at it today and remember what it was. But it's a wonderful thing to remember what those fellows 20 years ago were fighting for and sacrificing for, what they did to preserve our way of life. Not to conquer any territory, not for any ambitions of our own, but to make sure that Hitler could not destroy freedom in the world. I think it's just overwhelming to think of the lives that were given for that principle, paying a terrible price on this beach alone on that day, 2,000 casualties. But they did it so that the world could be free. It just shows what free men will do rather than be slaves. The significance of the impact of D-Day that it had on World War II cannot be overestimated. Less than one year later, on May 7, 1945, World War II was over. And it began with the three simple words, okay, let's go, and one hell of a lot of planning and a hell of a lot of great American soldiers and allied soldiers. Let's quickly take a call. Debbie in Georgia, you are front and center on the Cigar Dave Show. I ask that you make it quick, please. Yes, sir. Um, I just want to let you know that my aunt is turning 100 on uh, Saturday 
but she also served in the World War II. She was the one that taught some of the soldiers how to be administrators, how to make sure that their records were being brought back to the United States, how everything was being aligned. She was a part of that, and, and she's going to be 100 on Saturday. Well, I wish her a happy birthday, and we thank her for her service. And, Debbie, you bring up a great point, because many women, not only on the home front, but in the forward lines uh, serving uh, in the forward theater of battle, they paid the ultimate price as well. And if you go through and look at the number of people, both men and women, there were many women that served that, uh, that paid the ultra- ultimate price as well. And the boys that stormed the beaches could not have done it without the women that were working in the factories, building uh, the planes and building the boats and building all the materials and and working on the materials necessary for us to achieve victory. And Debbie, I'm so pleased that you brought that up today, and we wish her a very happy birthday, and I give her a snappy salute, and we thank her for her service. Thank you, General. I really appreciate you taking my call. Absolutely. I appreciate you, you sharing that with us. And again, there were so many, hundreds of thousands of men and women that served on the home front, on the forward lines. All of them, every one of them, played a critical role in the U.S. and the Allied forces defeating the evils of fascism and Nazism. Lieutenants, I can tell you today that the research that I have done, I am in such awe of the men and women and the troops that participated, our boys that participated in D-Day and World War II. The more I researched and learned about them, the more in awe I am of them, and I am in tremendous awe as it is. It has been my honor and my privilege to present this special 70th D-Day anniversary tribute. On Friday, the actual 70th anniversary of D-Day, I ask that you watch the remembrance from Normandy and remind those that are not aware of the day's tremendous significance, the historic significance, tell them about that. Tell them about what it meant. Tell them about World War II. If they don't know, as an American, it is incumbent upon you to inform them. To all the men and women that serve that are no longer with us, may they all rest in peace. They were part of the greatest generation. And to those that are still with us, I salute you. We thank you for your service. God bless all our great veterans and troops that served in World War II and America today.